Now, how open are you to weird stuff, like in the healthcare health world? <laughs> Pretty open. Are you? Yeah. yeah. Good. Yeah. Because because I feel like you always have to at least hear the like, hey, um, whatever, do this breathing technique or. And some people just shut it down and they stay to like the old school. This is just what it's been for the last 20, 30 years. But we heard about you through uh, Christina, who's at the, she's at Shavas. I yeah. Think that's how you say it? Yeah. Um, and that's why I was thinking like, it's cool. To, so you, you're into like some of the stuff that she does and talks about. Yeah. Um, has there been anything that you've experienced in the health world where you're like, that is just a little too strange? I don't think so. Really? Nice. No. Good. I'm pretty, like, when it comes to most everything, I'm very You're open. open on that? Yeah. Um, no, there really hasn't been. All right. We're doing a big intro this time because yes. I didn't do a good intro with Megan Stetson two times ago, and I got in big trouble for that. So we are here for the Health of It podcast. We're the hottest podcast in Columbia. Uh, do you want to say anything about yourself? You want to introduce no, yourself? I okay. actually don't. All right. <laughs> That's Dr. Tom. Uh, and we have a big guest today. So USC women's basketball has been a really big deal in the last couple of years. Championships, the whole thing. We have Molly Benetti, who's the director of women's basketball performance at the University of South Carolina. I asked you earlier if I'd call you a strength coach. You said that's outdated, but you're not offended by it. Not offended. No. Okay, cool. So wh what exactly do you do with them? What's your... How do you see your role? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, my role is a little bit of everything depending on the day. But in essence, like at the root of it, I'm responsible for anything performance-based in terms of preparing our players for what they've got to go through throughout the course of the season. Mental, so, men physical, emotional. emotional. Yes, all okay. of it. It's not spiritual. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Because of a chaplain? No, uh, we don't. Oh, so we you don't. might be spiritual. Yeah. You know, at all times, right. at times. Okay. But, I work within a greater performance team, our athletic training, sports medicine team, nutrition, yep. all of that. I We all work hand in hand and our roles overlap in a lot of different ways. So it really just depends on the day. Uh, you throw a therapist in there depending on the day. But really, when it comes to preparing them for uh, to perform at the highest level, I've got a hand in it. And so I spend more time with our players than probably anybody else on staff throughout yeah. the course of a year, just wow. based on NCAA rules and just you know, I've got a pretty big role and I take a lot of pride in that and know that there's a lot of responsibility that comes with it, but it's cool. a lot of fun. My, so my wife is from Southern Indiana. So Bloomington is where Indiana university is. And they were really good kind of at the same time. And I remember going home for Christmas and they, all my in-laws would be like, we're the, we're the, we have the best women's team in the nation. We're the top in the nation. And I was like, hold on, you guys are not. And they're like, yes, we are. We have the best women's basketball team. So then they finally looked it up and then they were like, oh, wait a minute. The Gamecocks are better than us. We, we've been telling ourselves, which I was like, that's ridiculous. They, they think they're first and they were fourth, I think, in the nation. They're, they're good. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like uh, when you're in the Midwest, too, you forget there's other regions of, of the. 100 percent. I mean, it's the same <laughs> everywhere. In the, the South, big, they forget. The Big Ten thinks they're better than everybody, don't they? I always get the sense that like in all sports, they, they they're like like um, what like yuppies. You know what I mean? Like they're just like they walk around like they're <laughs> with their nose up to yeah. everybody. I, I come from Big Ten country, so I can't uh, say so too much about <laughs> them. But what? I will say the SEC is different. What school did you go to? I went to Marquette. Oh, you went to Marquette. Yes, nice. but grew nice. up in Wisconsin. Always wanted to be a Badger. Went to Minnesota for grad school. So yep. then spent my first year full time at Purdue. So I've got a little Big Ten in me. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Um. So 
I imagine your your job's a year round deal, right? Yes. What does it look like off season? Like, what's the main differences off season for you, and then during season? Yeah, yeah. because you can't talk to players for a period of time, right? Or do anything I with them. Talk, you can, can do whatever you yes. want anytime. Yes, okay. I can talk to players. Obviously, there's times where um, we can't mandate anything, but I'm like you said with players year round, and so. I think it's funny. Everybody in the off season usually is like, "Oh, it's off season. You must get some time off. You you don't do anything with the players during this time." And it's actually like my time to shine. So we spend the most amount of time with me in, in the off season. So we have a designated time during the summer where our players are on campus taking classes and training with me, uh, spending more time with me than they are on the basketball court. And then um, as that transitions into we start school in August, they're still with me every single day. Uh, preparing them for preseason and then official practice starts at the end of September. And so, um, you know, my role is I'm not just in the weight room with them. I'm at practice with them every day. I'm traveling with them in yeah. season. I'm eating meals with them. You know, we're doing extra workouts, yeah. all of these things. Um, so off season is really the biggest time for me in terms of building and preparing our players. And then as we transition into season, obviously they come to South Carolina to play basketball. They don't come to lift weights. Right. So I mm -hmm. always am making sure that the main thing is the main thing. And that's, making sure that they're healthy and ready to go. But uh, even in season, they train with me every day that we have practice. But obviously the emphasis shifts as we go from building Different. to making mm -hmm. sure that we're still at our best throughout the course of the season. Got it. So are there, like when you're in the gym with them, are you, are there certain muscle groups that you're really focused on getting them to a certain strength point, a flexibility point? What, what does that look like uniquely for basketball? Yeah, I look at it more from a holistic perspective in terms of what do they need to be able to do and how do they have to be able to move on the basketball court. And so I look at it more so from a movement standpoint as opposed to muscles, but I know primarily their lower body, their whole lower half has to be extremely strong and they've got to be able to withstand the amount of times they've got yeah. to run, jump, cut, all of that throughout the course of a practice and then throughout the course of the season. So I'm looking at they've got to be really, really strong in their lower body. And then obviously upper body strength matters too. Yeah. Uh, depending on position, we treat that a little bit differently. But um, lower body, they've got to be able to absorb force and they've got to be able to produce a lot of force. And they've got to be able to do that over the course of sure. a six-month season. So I look at what do they have to be able to do on the court and then how can I make sure that we're doing things that actually transfer to better performance right. in running, jumping, cutting, all of that. And I guess I was wondering that too, like when it comes to performance, just metrics in general, what, what do you keep in mind for that? Like yeah. what would I be sort of the thing where you jump and hit the, yeah, the like vertical or yeah. long jump. Or... Yeah. Obviously jumping is a huge component of what they have to do. So we do look at vertical jump. We look at long jump. We know those two power metrics, um, play a big role in again, what they've got to do out on the court. What would be a good, speed. what would be a good vertical? I mean, we've got we've got athletes that can jump over thirty inches. So two I'd say and a half most, feet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's and you measure of, it. You stand there with your arm outstretched as high as you can. So we do it a few different ways, but yes, we do. We've used. I think you're thinking of the vertex where you touch and then you hit. And the then you little, run up yep. and try to hit as high yep. as you can. We'll do that. Uh, we also have these blocks in our weight room that hang from the ceiling that are certain heights, and so I'll look at what they can touch. You know, mm. our best athletes can touch ten feet nine inches. We've got a couple okay. that can touch 10 feet six, um, but it really just, it depends on position and it depends on the type of athlete and it doesn't always correlate to your best jumpers or your best athletes. Um, but obviously being able to jump well mm -hmm. helps when, especially when it comes to rebounding and things like that. And um, could a person go like, have you had people come in with like a 21 inch vertical and you got them to a 27? Mm-hmm. 
or yeah. what, what would be a yeah. really good spread? Or when you like look at someone's vertical, you were like, I'm getting, I think we can get 10% more, 20% yeah. more. On av- I would say on average, we usually see improvements. Um, you usually see a pretty big improvement fast, especially if an athlete comes in and they haven't really trained much before. You can make pretty significant increases right off the bat. But it's average for somebody to be able to improve three to four inches over uh their first two years or so, really? you know, some athletes make bigger jumps. Some are mm-hmm. a little bit, just depends. Genetics play a role obviously too. So yeah, that's an average number for us. That would be big. What do you think the average, like what do you, how, how high do you think I could jump? How many inches? I, I t- <laughs> Seven <laughs> to 10. <laughs> well, that's what I don't know. I haven't measured it in a long time. You know, I'd give you, I don't, I, maybe mid twenties, maybe oh, okay. low to mid twenties. Nice. Okay. I'm going to be generous. Thank you. That's yeah. nice of you. <laughs> Not nicer than most guests. <laughs> Now, is there a big uh, shock from high school? So when you meet some a, a young lady that comes out of high school, that's that's, I can't imagine the crowds at a high school level comparing to what they are here, of course. But then even from um, their tr- the training side of it, when you start to get a hold of them, like, is there a massive shock to them? Are they happy? Are they are they like freaked out? Like, what does that look like? Yeah, yeah, there is usually a huge a huge learning curve, especially your first six months as a freshman. I mean, we have athletes that maybe have trained a little bit in high school, but right. when they get to college, it's just a different level. And I think it's a hard for a lot of them to really wrap their head around how hard they have to work to just be as good as everybody else mm-hmm. at this level. They were a big fish in a small yeah, pond. Yeah, in high absolutely. School. And so we get a lot of really good basketball players. It doesn't always translate to really good athletes or, or they're really good in right. the weight room. So I think the shock of oh, this is every day. I've got to come in and I've got to be on my stuff. I've got to be on time. I've got to work hard. I've got to do all of this, the time management aspect of it. I think uh, the first initial six months is really overwhelming. Just for, the schedule. Yeah, the yeah, sheer schedule. Really stuff. overwhelming for a lot of them. So it takes some time. I think your first summer and your first semester in school as a freshman is your hardest. Yeah. Not that it gets any easier over time, but at least you can understand what's expected of you and how to really make adjustments going forward but there's nothing like it and there's not a lot you can do to really prepare someone for that other than just you got to go through it sure that's true i in when i first started undergrad i remember half my class failing out of chemistry and math and then even in cairo school first semester there was tons of people that just they thought they were really smart because they got whatever degree in undergrad and then they go there and they realize (laughs) wait a minute this is a whole new level or this is a whole new expectation of me and right. the people here the people who did re- also did really well right. so I'm, i have to try really hard right and then it's like oh you mean tell me i'm i'm on my own i don't have to mom and dad aren't here yes like, i can no do one, what right, I, there's nobody right. telling me what yep. to do so you add that element to it and it's it's a lot so some of them probably break do they just break down and i can't do this and leave there's i mean we've seen we've seen athletes really struggle yeah, yeah uh across the board and there's moments where it's, you know, I, I get to see them through the good, the bad, and the ugly. And that's one part I love about my job is yep. that I'm, I'm not responsible for their playing time. And so I'm somebody that they can talk to and I kind of get to see every aspect of it. But yeah, it's hard. It's that's really hard. hard. Yeah. I, and homesickness, I'm sure, is a yes. big thing. Where do you recruit out of the, mo- recruit out of the most? There's, I don't local? know that there's one, one particular spot. That you go to? There we go. Yeah, I don't know that there's one particular spot. I mean, we get players from all over. We get players from California. We get local players right. in South Carolina. We get players from the Midwest. We've got a kid from Minnesota this year. So I wouldn't say there's one particular spot. spot. 
you know, and I think that's an attraction of, of our university and just our program as a whole as we can pull in kids from, from everywhere. Do you go on the rec recruiting uh, tours and all that stuff? Like, are you out there looking at certain players and, and kind of giving feedback on there? Is that more? Nope, that's just okay. that's just restricted to our coaches. So when we bring recruits on campus, though, I'm part of that process, and gotcha. they set aside time to meet with me and answer their questions and just give them an idea of what they're going to be going through and, and how I approach their development over their four years with us. So that's a big piece of the recruiting that I'm involved in. But as far as going out, that's, that's all basketball. And then do you do a lot of like body measurements? Like when they, when they show up to you, is there, is there a ton of objective things that you're writing? Like calf size and waist size neck and size. neck size and <laughs> neck size for sure <laughs> is that, no we do take measurements like body yeah. fat yeah. and all that yep yep we'll do hand size uh we'll do wingspan we'll really do abs, hand do size yep always try how to does a hand size mind. get measured <laughs> yeah what do you do there <laughs> you know a standard is it like you know, a rated, tape measure so to edge of your wrist to the end of your longest finger yes yeah we'll, and what would be now that's not changeable though, right? You guys, no. okay. That's no. just to see. Biggest thing is I try to just profile. Okay. What are, what are our players? Like look what like? features? Yes. What, yeah. yeah. What are characteristics of some of the best performing players? And I mean, hand size doesn't vary that much with our players. You're looking at anywhere from seven to eight inches is pretty standard. Right. Um, but we'll do wingspan. We'll do height, obviously. Foot size. Nope. No I mean, foot size? I mean, we, they, we know what size really? their foot is based on what just size, shoot, what just size shoot. shoot. Yeah, yeah but, you um, probably have to order special shoes for them, do, right? Yeah. And custom orthotics and yep. all that stuff, I'm sure. Yep, yep, we do that. And then, you know, Under Armour will work with us if we need to, if we have any athletes with particular needs. But uh, like you said, body composition is something we'll measure right off of the bat. And then for me, it's just gathering information over time and trying to always put together individual profiles for our athletes and how they're improving over time. And then also yep. just what are some just general physical attributes and characteristics of some of our best athletes and not, not even just best athletes, but best basketball players. That's really the most important thing. Are there, um, are there standards though? Like, I feel like, and I don't, I'm maybe making this up, but in football, I thought that there had to be for linemen for, let's say they had to be a certain size. They had to maintain a certain weight or they had to maintain a certain strength. Is there anything for that where you would sit down with them and say, Hey, your, the scale's too heavy or it's too light or is there other things like that where you have to there are but it's it's really a gray area and okay. there's no you know what i've found over time with working with some of the best basketball players is your best basketball players aren't always going to fit the ideal body type or the ideal characteristics and so yes there's ranges of um you know if we're looking at percent body fat we want our posts within a certain range right. ideally we want our guards within a certain range but if they're outside of that, does that mean that they're not going to perform at a high level? No, not necessarily. But yes, from a health standpoint, you know, we look at players and uh, when it comes down to it, it's really about all about performance. Is their performance improving or is it getting right. worse? And right. are we seeing trends in their body weight along with that? Is their body weight going up and their performance is going up or is their body weight going sure. up, but they're not running as fast now, they're not jumping as high, they're not moving as well in the court. And that's really what it comes down to. So it's, you know, the weight thing is just a number. The body composition is just a number. Yeah. We're always trying to improve, but we also got to look at, okay, are they actually performing? And if they are, well, that's the most important thing. Yeah. Do you use any technology that, that measures recovery and things of like, um, I know Randy wears a ring that'll tell him about like sleep and oh, uh, you have one too. Yeah. And Twins. all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Cause I was wondering like knowing if you can push somebody harder 
or or you like they come in and you're like, oh my god, your your score is so low. We just need to rest. Do yeah. you use any technology like that? Uh, we do not necessarily. We don't use the rings. Uh, we did actually use rings on a few players a couple years ago just to get them familiar with it. Uh, we use technology to track what they're doing in practice. So we'll look at. We have heart rate monitors. We also have a device called Connexon that tracks every movement that they make on the court really? and really gives us a what they call a general overload uh, load of how intense was that practice or that session. And so that gives me an idea of how stressful that session was on their body, both physically, but also cardiovascularly as well. And then I can use that information to determine, okay, do I need to scale back on my end? Or are we seeing trends of this athlete overworking for multiple days or multiple weeks in a row? Uh, We usually don't find that, like we don't really get athletes that are in that state, but it does help us make better decisions on a daily basis of, and just understanding what that athlete's actually going through from a stress standpoint. Um, and it's different. Each each individual's tolerance is different. Um, and it really comes down to their overall ability to do work, their their cardiovascular fitness, their ability to um, have a high work capacity. So mm-hmm. making sure that I'm preparing them for that on the front end so that when we get into season, they can Coach Staley can do what she needs to do on the basketball court. That's right. really my job. Yeah. Well, and so ice is just a real hot topic right now. Or cold topic. Cold topic, good one. Oh, I didn't even think of that. I missed a good opportunity there. But it, so we, I've been hearing different things for a while. It was just all ice is good, ice everything, and then I started hearing a lot more like you don't ice after an injury. It's slowing recovery because you want it to the body to clear it out or do what it does. And then cold plunges came in, and everyone's using them now and and raving about them. So I'm almost hearing cold plunges coming in as the idea of putting ice on everything that hurts going out. So I'm wondering where, where that falls in for you. Yeah. Um, you know, for me and for us and our team, it's, I think it's a a big mental aspect more than anything too, especially when it comes to like the cold tubs Mm -hmm. uh, and recovering things like that from an ice standpoint. Um, you know, that's going to be more of our, our medical team's opinion on that. Is there benefit to icing immediately? Like for a very acute injury, there may be. um, But after a certain point too, like you said, we want the body to heal on its own. Is there's evidence really pointing both directions. Both ways. That's the the weird part about it. Um, As far as cold tubs go, I think they're, they're like, like you said, it's like the the biggest thing right now. Right. Um, Some of our players love it and they swear by it. Um, So if that makes them believe that it's doing something for them. I'm not going to say no. Now, there's certain points of the year where we actually encourage them not to get in the cold tub, like in the off season, uh, especially like in the summer where our emphasis is really on building and growing. There is some research saying that it inhibits some of the strength adaptations and stuff. Is that completely accurate? I don't know, but we're going to avoid using it as much as possible unless it's in um, certain situations where they feel like they really need it. As we get more into preseason, in-season, that's more of a personal preference than anything else. We don't push it on anybody, but we obviously offer that if it's something that they feel like helps them. But do you get in it yourself? Um, I do sometimes. I'll do a cold shower every once in a while too. I think like mentally, it actually makes me feel really good. That's how I um, feel too, especially in the morning. Tom uh, thinks morning. it's too uncomfortable. It is, but well, here's what I realized: Do you go straight hot to cold, like quick, or do you go from hot and kind of slow your way to cold? I actually just go, if I'm doing a shower, I just go straight cold. Oh, really? Yeah, it's just, just going to rip the Band-Aid See, off. See, I can do it if I go hot 
And then I just keep going really slow <laughs> all the way down the cold. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm, do I'm doing a cold shower. Right yeah, now. no, I'll just go. I'll turn it cold right away. I'm going to hop in for a minute or two or whatever. Just shock the system. Yeah, just, just go yeah. for it. There's no really easing into it, in my opinion. But Now, yeah. what? It's hard to say if it's a f how big of a fad it is right now. Right when you're in the middle yes. of a fad, you don't know if it's going to hang on right. or yeah. if it's going to disappear right. in six months. It's huge. I know uh, you guys follow, like, Andrew Huberman. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, so... I think his obviously promotion of it has been a big reason Everybody, why yes. it's blowing up. And there is, I mean, there's a lot of evidence. There's a lot of people that, so I think it's, if you like it, go for it. Now I had a gym when I was in, or not a gym. I went to a gym when I was in high school that was, um, there was this massive dude in there and he would move weight that nobody could move, but his form was absolutely insane. Like just terrible. Or you would look at it and be like, and his only thing was like, well, if you, when you, when you can move this weight, you can tell me about your form. <laughs> do you, what do you, I mean, what are your thoughts on some of that too? Like these, the strongest men or when people do move really heavy weights, does it really matter that much on their form if they're, if they're capable of doing it? I think there's, there's a spectrum there, right? There's, and it's the same thing with, you look at athletes, right? Everybody's so concerned about athletes' technique in the weight room, too. Right. If you look at what they're actually doing on the court, like their posture and their technique and their movement patterns, how they do out there, are very not ideal. Right. And so there's, I think, a, a bandwidth of what's acceptable and what's going to be fine, but there's definitely going to come a point over time that if you're consistently doing that, you're probably going to put yourself at risk. Now, I think it's different for everybody. I don't think there's that uh, perfect one technique or perfect way to lift a weight, but yeah, I, I would have to uh, see this guy in action to give you a little <laughs> bit better crazy. diagnosis of that. But well, the football in the football world, I have a friend who played um, football, Division One football, and he was injured really badly at the end of high school because they it was almost a it wasn't a metric for how you're going to perform. It was Correct. just a bunch of guys in the weight room yeah. yelling at each other and ah, right. oh, you can't do that, yeah. you can do that. So they were pushing each other hard just for the competitive side of it, not yeah. for the actual performance side of it. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, that maybe not ha doesn't happen quite as much. I don't know. No, uh, it does. does it? I, I think that's an, an unfortunate part of our profession too, is a lot of times you see uh, weight moved as the focal point at the expense of how they're doing right. it. And also just the safety and developmental age of the athletes that you're working with. You do see it a lot in high school. You see the same thing in college strength and conditioning programs. Um, it still runs rampant. And I think the, you know, I think there's a lot of ego involved in this field as a whole, not just from a coach's standpoint, but just in general, when you're working out, right, how much weight can you lift? What can you do? All of that. So sometimes it gets the best of people. Uh, I think the most important thing is for me is I'm just trying to remember that these athletes are not weightlifters. They're not bodybuilders. They're not there to, again, lift weights. They're there to do it well and keep themselves healthy. So um, there's a trade off there about what are you actually chasing and are you chasing the number? Are you just chasing the ego aspect of it? Or are you actually trying to keep what matters That's, at the forefront? Yeah, that, well, and so Peter Atia has that new book outlive and yes. it's, I thought it was really interesting, but he has a whole, he has a strength and then he has a cardio side, but then he has a whole thing on stability and basically thinks that stability is as important as the strength and the cardio side. But I, I was looking at it like, I don't really know that much about stability. Although I probably should be doing it just as much. You know what I mean? Yeah. So do you look at stability in a different, in a, as its own thing, or do you try to build it into everything? Yeah. You know, I don't think you can separate 
I don't think you can separate any of that, honestly. I think the way that I look at performance and just movement in general is everything plays together and every system plays together. So when you look at, especially athletic movement, right, there's a vestibular component to it. There's the stability and balance. There's the coordination. There's rhythm. You look at the best athletes and the best movers in the world. They're smooth. They're fluid. They're balanced. And so when I look at how we train, I think we train a little bit different than your uh, typical weight room. If you look at college weight rooms across the board, and it's very much uh, an integrated focus. I want to make them more coordinated. I want to make them uh, move in different positions, have to get up off the ground, have to control their body in various movement patterns and in ways that they're going to have to move out on the court. So I think there's a huge stability and balance component to what we do. And especially when it comes to training for movement and athletic performance, as opposed to just training for, let's say aesthetics or right, or bodybuilding, or you're just training just to look good in the mirror, whatever it might be. But I would argue that every person, regardless of what their goal is, should be training like an athlete and just to function at a higher level in general. So um, I don't think you can really separate the components because everything plays together Mm -hmm. and it should be viewed as, okay, how are all of these things working together in unison as opposed to let's just train uh, one specific thing at a time. Now, are you more into free weight stuff or machine stuff? A, and for the average person, I guess, because I, I know in your world, you're going to kind of t- tweak it to the, the sport. But for the average listener, what would you more so recommend? Yeah, I think there's a time and place for everything. Um, I'm always an advocate of just moving and using free weights and getting out in space and, and all of that, whether it's even just body weight. Yeah. Um, some people should just maybe be a little bit more machine based based on whatever limitations they might have. So I really do think I can't give a blanket statement for everybody. I think it's very individual to where that person is at and where their journey is or just getting started. I think everything's got a time and a place and can be fit into an overall program. But, you know, my approach is always movement first. And then obviously I, I do love me some machines too. Yeah. And I'll put our players on them every once in a while too. So nice. Do you have any specific player that you just think of that was like the hardest worker you've ever seen? Like you had to, and here's, here's where the question comes from. I was listening to a camera. Grover. No, I think it was like Kobe Bryant or, yeah. or it was some, like, it was like an, it was an older interview or it might've been LeBron James or what well, it, it was. I can't remember exactly what it was, but basically saying like the average person is getting up at you know, nine and they have breakfast and they work out 10 to 12 and then they go home and they rest and they recover and then they work out four to six. And then they have like this four hours of training. And he goes, for me, I wake up at 4am and I'm training from five to seven and then I go recover and then I'm training from nine to 11 and then I recover and then I'm training from 11 to three and then I recover and then I'm training six to eight and then I go home and then I recover and then I do my stuff from nine to like, he was basically saying that he does two to three times more than what most of the other people does and then attributed that to why he's so much better. So I'm wondering if there's a work ethic side of it. Cause sometimes those guys are just their bodies. They're just freaks in how their bodies recover and the amount that they can do and the amount that they need to sleep and all these things. So I don't quite, you can take that however you want in that form of question, but sometimes it, I just think like, even in the, in the work world, you're like, man, that person just works insanely hard at all times when no one's looking no matter what so i'm wondering if you have anyone like that that you can think of that you want to give a shout out or you don't have to if you don't want to yeah no i mean i think there's a lot of athletes that 
display a lot of those qualities that I've, that I've coached throughout the years. And like you said, Kobe was a different breed. Um, you know, there's somebody, somebody that sticks out in my mind in terms of like their basketball skill set is Zia Cook, somebody that graduated for us this past year. Mm-hmm. Um, her desire and want to get in the gym and work on her skill set is unlike a lot of people that I've ever coached. Um, you know, I think it, it takes a different breed to really encompass like and really like embrace the all of it. Right. Like they all want to be great at basketball, but like to really embrace the weight room, to really embrace the nutrition side of things, the recovery, all of it. Like that is something I think is really rare, especially to find in someone that's 18 to 22 years yes. old where your brain is not fully formed yet. You don't really know what the the right logical rational decision make you know decisions you should be making mm-hmm. are um but that's somebody that sticks out to me in terms of like just a gym rat somebody that was constantly trying to get better at her game and somebody that i really saw grow so much through her four years with yeah, us and now cool. in the WNBA. so sweet is that pretty typical with women's basketball that you'll get them for four years because i know in men's they're they're flying through college now and some some are now actually skipping college and doing the um developmental leagues what are you guys seeing on the on the college level for women? Yeah, yeah, that's very typical because it's different in our game where you've got to go four years, you've got to graduate, or you've got to be turning twenty two the year of the draft oh, really? to even enter the draft. So I didn't know that. Uh, aside from maybe a transfer or two every year that I only get to coach for one, two, maybe three years, uh, a lot of our athletes I get to see through that four year process, nice. which is I think what I love most about my job is seeing them from day one and then seeing them on their way out and right. seeing them grow and develop during that time. And what's the sweet spot where you, you start seeing your work come through them? Like, is it th- within three months? Is it six months? Is it, you, you know, after a year or, or is it very quick? It just depends. You know, it depends. I think when you get an athlete as a freshman that really hasn't done much before those first six months, you're going to see a lot of progress. I think it's really easy to make a freshman or even a sophomore better in a short period of time. But the way I kind of measure it for myself is, are those athletes still improving year three and year four? And not just physically, but am I seeing them really take ownership of their development, understand the training process, all of those things. And so you see physical development pretty quick. Um, Some things that you're trying to achieve are going to take longer in time, whether that's a body comp change, whether that's you know, whatever it might be, maybe it's putting on a significant amount of weight, which we see that too. Those things take time, but first six months of getting an athlete on campus, you're going to see some pretty big improvements and they get super excited. But as soon as they see those results, that's where you get that buy-in and that trust comes at a higher level. Um, and then really I look at, for me, am I doing my job? Because are they improving year three and year four? And are they at their best physically year three and year four? And are they pro ready at that time? Uh, it's really easy to take kind of just a, an athlete that's never really trained consistently right. and make them better. You could do anything and make them better, but are they continuing to get better? Sometimes you probably just have to put them in their place a little bit. They're being lazy. Oh, yeah. and you just got to, yeah. do you have a line that you say, or do you have a moment when you just like, you, you know how there's sometimes like a story or you, you <laughs> have to say something or do something that you're like, I don't really need it, but I know the person needs it. I don't know if I can say it on air. All right. <laughs> Is it normally like a month in or two months in or, and it, and is it because they're pretty driven, right? If they're, if you're making it to this level, you're already pretty driven, but you might be pretty cocky. You might have an attitude. 
and it's, you might think you know yeah. more than your trainer. Right. And it's also like they're in the weight room. They, if they had a choice, they're not going to be in the weight room with me. They're going to be taking a nap right. or they're going to be out playing basketball. Right. So I think understanding that and trying to make it an environment that they want to be a part of. And so for me, uh, that's really making it a partnership where it's not just me telling them what to do 24 seven. It's them having a choice and having a say um, and understanding that they're not always going to be super motivated to be in the weight room there. I don't know that I've ever worked with a lazy athlete. Like people always talk about how this generation's lazy and these kids are soft and all of that. I've never really found that. I've just found like, you don't, they're not catering to what they really care about. And so, uh, yes, there's times where I've got to put them in their place. And there's sometimes where they've just got to get something done and they maybe not, they don't feel like it, or it's just something they don't want to do. Um, but there's a certain standard and expectation to how we do things. Yeah. And they have that understanding when they get there, they don't always know what that feels like and what they have to do in the moment, but everybody around them is holding them to that same standard. So, uh, over time, it just becomes part of, it's just what we are and who we are, what we do. Yep. Are you a screamer? Like, have you ever gotten in their face and just yelled at them and swore at them? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a screamer. Oh, really? But do I, I can... I can get a little something to me, everyone. But no, I'm I'm in general. I'm not I'm not the one that's screaming. I'm not the one that's yelling. If you walk into our weight room, I'm not the one that's. You, I'm not the rah screaming. rah. No, I'm not a, not what you see on your typical uh, when you see strength coaches in the media, right? It's typically because like, they're a hype man, hype woman, yeah. whatever it is. Now I can get that if you, but I get that way more so when I'm watching them play basketball than I am when right. I'm in the weight room. But yeah, there's times where I've got to be able to turn up on them, or there's. A time, you know, if they've pushed me past my limit, they're gonna they're gonna know. Right. Uh, yeah. There's times where I've cussed. There's not all all of that, but uh, I try not to be that person. I try to coach from a place of calm and right. Just well, who I am. Yeah. I guess what are the like what are the big challenges behind the scenes? Like if if an athlete refuses to just do what you're telling them to do, what do you do about? Or like what can you do about that? Yeah. Um, you go right to like Don and just say, listen, <laughs> I try to handle it myself first. And there's, you know, I think we've got a very open dialogue amongst our, amongst our staff and, you know, they're always in the loop of what's going on. But if it's an issue that I have with an athlete, it's going to be a conversation between us first. And I think the biggest thing I've learned is you can't put them on blast always in front of everybody else. You've got to have a conversation. And I think the biggest thing is you've got to have a relationship that's built on trust and they've got to know that I've got their best interest in mind before you can really lay into somebody and really have hard conversations. And so I'm always trying to take the time to connect first yeah. before you've got to deliver some hard truths to them. And I think, uh, because I spend so much time with them, those relationships are built pretty strong and I can tell them the truth and it's going to be addressed with me first, but yes, you know, ultimately it's coaches program. And we need to make sure that we're all on the same page. And if there's issues that I'm seeing that are recurring, at some point it's going to be out of my hands and it's going to be – goes up. Yeah. It goes up. Yeah. And ultimately they're here to play basketball. Um, and that's usually the biggest way or the best way to help drive behavior change is sometimes taking that part away. Right, right. Has there been relate like re like boyfriend issues or family issues that you that you have to get like or do oh, a little yeah. counseling the on dad in the weight room? Always, always. Really? I mean, I've, sure. yeah, throughout this is year eleven, full time coaching for me, and I, I think I've seen it all. I mean, there's really nothing that is surprising. There's really no situation that I really haven't seen. You know, just you kind of deal with all of it, and you a lot of it 
you can't always be prepared for, but it's just, I think that's also part of the job, my job that I really value, just being able to have those relationships and help them navigate through some of the toughest times in their lives. And then also just help them navigate that. Like, like you said, when I, my job is performance, it's the emotional part too, and the mental part. So how can I help equip them with skills to navigate some of life's hardest moments for them and then just help them grow? So yeah, you see, you see it all. And that's why like we, we build those relationships so strong is because I do see them through the good, the bad, and the ugly. What percentage do you think have overbearing fathers? <laughs> Like Randy Claus. Uh, Just, I, well, <laughs> it was actually I, I, probably fewer than you think. Is it? Yeah. Uh, really? Yeah. I, so it's it, some of it's like internally driven. It's not necessarily because I have I have two daughters, and I and a lot of times I just know that they're working hard because it'll make because I want them to because yes. it'll make or I just yes like we were out we were golfing and like she, they just wanted to win so badly because they knew that I would be happy so I was trying not to like doing my best not to be like pushing it on yeah. them, like whatever, it's, it's fine. But like deep down, they know like yeah. if, you lose, if I win, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and all, and like, honestly, it's just, if they're not doing their best, then I would be mad. Yeah. But if they're doing their best and they still lose, then it's, it's fine. But I also yeah. just sometimes see like <laughs> a lot of overbearing dads. So, you so know, is yeah, it no, internally just... driven then? Is that, is there a different, like different types of athletes where you're like, Oh, I better do this or my dad's going to be mad or, Oh, I need to do this to prove myself to someone. I don't, I don't quite know what the motivation is always. Yeah. I think it's different for everybody, but I do think we recruit in general, really competitive players that just, they want to be great and they want to win and they don't want to lose. And so I think that's something that is an innate quality. I think it's also something that is fostered in you throughout the course of your life before mm -hmm. you get to college. Um, I think you can bring some of that out of people, but I do think in general, we recruit players that are highly competitive. Um, and that comes from, I think, a lot of different sources, I'm sure. Have you seen, um, so you've been doing this 11 years, pre-NIL, so before they started doing the name, image, and likeness where they could pay athletes, and now that they can, and I'm not sure, you, you, I'm sure there's some South Carolina women's basketball players who are getting paid at oh, this yeah. point. Yeah. Yep. Uh, has you, have you seen a massive difference in that in, in any level that you've witnessed um, over the years? Like, whether it's we're getting better talent or we're looking for people that have more marketability so that they can bring in more money, any of that kind of stuff? Or no, what I, changes? I would, yeah, I will say the biggest change that I've noticed is just the demand on our players' time. Yeah. Um, they're doing a lot of NIL events, obligations, whatever it might be on off days now. So off days aren't really off days anymore. There's obviously a lot more people in their ear, there are a lot more people involved in their decision-making process. So I think that's the biggest change I've seen is just more demand on them. I do think it's a, a another source of stress, you know, right. whether it's good or bad, but there's certainly, that's a big aspect of college sports right now, yeah. you know, for better or for worse. I think it's a good thing overall. I don't know what that's going to look like moving forward, but I do think it places a higher demand on, on their time um, on the stress levels, all right. of that. Cause I didn't know if there was like a, 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 like even a jealousy sort of thing too, where one of the players is getting paid more and maybe you're the other players better at basketball, but they, the other one might be more marketable because they do TikTok dances or whatever. Yeah. Um, so I didn't know if there was some of that that you've been, that you've witnessed, you know, nothing that I've witnessed firsthand. No, I'm sure there's elements of that, that 
that happened behind the scenes. But in general, um, we really have, you know, there's a lot to it too that, that I'm even unaware of a lot that goes on behind the scenes that I'm not privy to. So, uh, in general, we haven't had any major issues, but you know, it's kind of running rampant right now too. I'm sure there's a lot more that's gone on in, in other places and other things that I just don't know about. Sure. And so we have, so we've sponsored the Westwood basketball team for the last couple of years and just like their players can come in and we take care of them or whatever we can do. So I'm wondering if you have some, I, I guess, tips, what would be your top couple tips for a high school stre- like strength coach or performance coach who's working with, you know, like a few years younger, let's say 15 to 18 year olds. Yeah. And, and maybe from your perspective of, wow, this, this player came in at 18 years old and they're incredibly fit and they know what to do and they have good you know recovery and performance and routines versus the other one who you're saying like comes yeah. in and they don't even know yeah. what they have having an right. any work done man high school strength and conditioning is really hit or miss um i think but i do think some of the best strength coaches exist at the high school level but i think the biggest thing overall would be get them to enjoy the weight room experience at a young age because i think that can really shape their view on how they view themselves, their body image, what strength and conditioning and performance is really about. And so if they can help develop a healthy relationship with training and weightlifting and all of that at an early age, that only helps me foster that when they get to college, because there's still so much uh, misperception, misconception about strength and conditioning, especially when it comes to women in training and and things like that. And I think, um, you know, when it comes to well, how do they do, like, how do you make them like it? Because there's, they still have to lift the weight. They still have to show up early. Absolutely. You know, what- and yeah. Kind of like we talked about before is I like to help. I like to give them some choices. So I like to figure out like what they care most about. And also maybe if there's some exercises that they really enjoy doing and include those in to the, their training program. Okay. And uh, that builds a little bit of buy-in, builds a little bit of trust and then give them what they want with what I know that they need and merge those two things. And over time, when they start to see some results, that trust builds a little bit greater. I can start to introduce some new things. Got it. And really it's about getting to know them and what they're, if they have any, um, you know, limitations on, you know, what they think the weight room is just trying to figure out where they're coming from and where yeah. those concerns are coming from, or those fears are coming from, whatever it might be. And if you can understand the source of it a little bit better, you can help, direct those conversations and just kind of make better decisions, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So it's really just about to get getting to know them, give them a little bit of what they want and what they think is helping them, and then mix in what you know that they need. And yeah. then, like you said, there's just some things that they just have to do. And then once they see that it's not actually a scary thing or it's not actually um, doing the thing that they thought it was going to do, you know, whatever bad thing they thought it was going, was going to happen, that trust builds over time. You can start to introduce more and things just kind of grow and develop. Do you ever get Don that comes to you and says like, kick the shit out of these girls because they're just dogging it? <laughs> like, <laughs> does that, or is there ever on the, on the other side of, is there ever a time where she's like on you and like, these girls aren't ready? Has there been any moments where, and I don't know there's if you want to share. Li- there's but. been a little bit of both, but yeah, I think, you know, she'll laugh about this, but there, there comes a time always in the off season, preseason where it's just like, Molly, they're not in shape. They're not in shape. Right. And I'm like, I know they're not in perfect shape, but it's like July, right? I'm like, it's July. I promise you they're going to be ready. They're going to be ready to go. 
And sure enough, they're always ready to go when it comes time to actually get out on the court, the lights are on and, and we're ready to play. Yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, we, we have that conversation probably yearly, but yeah, there's times too, where it's just like, okay, you guys aren't doing what you need to go need to do. Go see Molly. Right. Um, so yeah, a little bit of both. A little bit of that. Yeah. And I'm, I'm super interested in your story. Just, I, you got to a pretty high level, very young, right? Can you tell us just the background of how you went from graduating at Marquette to very quickly, like division one at the top school in the country, women's basketball performance coach? Yeah. Uh, it's really crazy when I think back on it, because I had started out not even really knowing what strength and conditioning was like I was always somebody that liked to lift and work out and a little bit like I wasn't anything crazy in high school we maybe went to the weight room like one or two times but I was always in sport I was always um playing sport I was always watching sports I always yeah. loved sport and I was hurt a lot growing up so I was in PT a lot all of the rehab so I thought maybe I wanted to do physical therapy but I really had no idea what I wanted to do maybe business I was actually in business school before I was in uh, this, the College of Health Sciences, but had no idea. And then it was one day in one of my classes, the head strength coach at Marquette came in and gave a presentation. And I was just in awe of him and just what he was doing. I thought it was the coolest thing. And so I ended up interviewing him for an uh, for a class project. And I met him in the weight room and having no idea what he really did or what college strength and conditioning was about. And he just opened up his doors and said, you know, if there's any time that you want to come in and observe or volunteer, like the door is open. I think it was the next morning I showed up and just probably stood there, didn't say a right. word, but 6 a.m. I was there and I just kept showing up anytime that I wasn't in class. And so my first exposure to strength conditioning was really in college at the division one level. And so all four years that I was there, I was in the weight room just volunteering at first. He found a way to pay me like $8 an hour nice. by my junior year. And then by my senior year, I had to do a full-time internship and it could be anywhere. And I didn't know, I've, I've always just been the type of person to just whatever I wanted to do, I'm just going to go for it. So I started applying to all the best internships in the country, having no idea what my chances were. And I ended up getting accepted into an internship program at a private facility called Exos. Well, it was athletes performance at the time, but it really is like the top training or top private facility in the country is where all the main like NFL players go to really? train for the combine. I was training MLB players, Olympians, high school cool. youth, like you name it. It's in Phoenix. So I moved to Phoenix for six months. How does it spell? E-X? E-X-O-S. Is it? Okay. They have locations all over the country now, but they're like flag. Main hub, like yeah. yeah, main hub was Phoenix. And so I went and lived in Phoenix for six months. And like it was at that time where I was like, okay, this is what I want to do for a living. And my end goal was... I wanted to be a division one strength and conditioning coach. Like that was what I wanted to do. And I had no idea what else even really existed. So I came back from that, went to grad school at Minnesota, helped out with teams there. And I was really fortunate to meet somebody in class who had a connection. Uh, his girlfriend played volleyball at Purdue and was then going to be a strength and conditioning, like graduate assistant. Well, she ended up deciding to go a different route and they had her position. They turned into a full-time position and he was like, Hey, do you care where you get a job? And I was like, no. It's like, okay, well, if you're interested, like I can get you in contact with the director at Purdue. And I was like, hell yeah. Like, yeah, without a doubt. And so I remember driving down, I drove down to Kansas, university of Kansas to a clinic. And I met this director in person, ended up interviewing him. And, uh, that night he offered me 
the position at Purdue. And I was like, shit, now what? Now what? I'm How 20. old were you at this time? I was 23. 23. Wow. It's 23. Purdue. That's massive. Yeah. Make, I will say that I'm making $24,000, but I did not care. I was like, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm a division one. Right. Strength and conditioning coach. Right. I work at a Big Ten university. Yeah. Massive, which so, is really smart. A lot of people don't understand that when they're right. in their early twenties, that you're better off to go somewhere really good and learn than you are to go somewhere and get paid less, where yeah. you're getting paid more, but you're not getting mentored and learning. Right. You which know? also brings me to my next step, though, is I actually I left after a year because I want I was craving more mentorship. Yeah. I was I was lucky and I was fortunate that I kind of just got thrown into the fire and I could learn and figure things out. But I was like really craving somebody to help me because yeah, I wanted yeah. to be really good. So I ended up leaving after a year to go get mentored by a woman named Tina Murray, who was at the University of Louisville. Uh, she's now in the front office, works for the Pittsburgh Penguins, Penguins, excuse me, worked for the Sacramento Kings. And she was just somebody that was kind of a trailblazer in our profession, especially right. as a woman. And so I wanted to go work for her and ended up working for her at University of Louisville for four years, where I kind of went from seven or eight different teams and sports that I was working with and narrowed it down to three or four. I was working with basketball or helping her with basketball. I had softball, volleyball, tennis. I knew at some point, like as I was growing and learning, like I I went to Louisville at 24, but like I had learned, like if you're going to make money in this field, you're going to work with football or you're going to work with basketball. And Mm -hmm. those are kind of the two sports where it's like you just have one sport. Right. Um, and part of me always wanted to explore the basketball only route. Like I played basketball. I loved working with basketball. It just was kind of like the fit for me. So that was always in the back of my mind. And then, uh, this job actually became open. I met who had my position before I actually met her at that clinic in Kansas that I drove down to, to get that job Mm -hmm. for Purdue. I met her there and we kind of stayed in touch throughout the years. And uh, after my third year at Louisville, she called me and was like, hey, are you interested? I'm, I'm leaving. I can get you an interview tomorrow if you want one. And I was like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm, I'm in a good spot. I'd just gotten a raise. I'd taken yeah. over some responsibilities, so on and so forth. But fast forward a year, she calls me again and was like, hey, she ended up staying for another year. She goes, hey, I'm done. Coaches asked who they needed to call, and I gave them your number. So you better pick up the phone. Right. So second time around, I was like, okay, I need to at least explore Nice. this opportunity and uh obviously you know we're six years on year six so six years later um it's been pretty crazy sweet what do you think of columbia you it's like grown it? on me yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, no it's i grew up in wisconsin so i'm like yeah. a midwest girl through and through and then every job that i've taken has been a little bit further south so indiana was a little bit of a yeah. change and then louisville was like a good mixture between right. the south but it's still a little bit of a midwest flair to it uh, and then Columbia, when I moved, it was June 1st oh. and the humidity was like 95%. I was like, what is, what is yeah. this? Um, it took some time to get used to it. It's just different, yeah. you know, it's not in a, a yeah. bad or good, just different in general. So uh, I've actually really grown to like, I like how it's growing. First mm-hmm. of all, I like how it's growing. There's actually a lot of more hidden gems than I thought yes. there were. I like that you're a day trip away from the mountains, the beach, Charlotte, yes. whatever you want is kind of within your fingertips. So it's it's been awesome. And I think just being embraced by the community here, obviously women's basketball has a huge fan base. Our program is amazing. Our staff and everybody, the university, things like that. So just being embraced by the community here has made it 10 times better. Yeah, love that. Now, how open are you to weird stuff, like in the healthcare health world? <laughs> Pretty open. Are you? Yeah, yeah. good. Yeah. Because 
I feel like you always have to at least hear the like, hey, um, whatever, do this breathing technique or, and some people just shut it down and they stay to like the old school, this is just what it's been for the last 20, 30 years. But we heard about you through uh, Christina, who's at the, she's at Shavas, I think yeah. that's how you say it. Yeah. Um, and that's why I was thinking like, it's cool. This, so you, you're into like some of the stuff that she does and talks about. Yeah. Um, has there been anything that you've experienced in the health world where you're like, that is just a little too strange? I don't think so. Really? Nice. No. Good. I'm pretty, like when it comes to most everything, I'm, like, I'm very you're open. You're kind of open on that? Yeah. I've, no, there really hasn't been. Now, I got a weird health metric for you okay. that I've noticed over the years. From So I'm from Pennsylvania. Randy's from Canada and, and Brett's from Tennessee. So we're all transplants into here. Yeah. Um, early on in chiropractic, one of my patients, we do a lot of um, symmetry work. So we look at posture and we do analytics and x-rays and all that stuff. And the goal is just to get it back to the anatomical norm. Well, one of the, the key things we look at is forward head posture and then how much that affects your spinal cord, performance, breathing, all that, that stuff. And then um, we use head weights to correct that. So we'll test with a weight on somebody's head to see if it corrects their posture, like pulls their head backwards. Well, a patient of mine just had their hair done and it was this heavy, I didn't realize it, but the heaviness of the hair, it was like five to seven pounds, she said. And so I'm bringing this up because in basketball, I've seen this trend in women's basketball that they're they're wearing extremely long, what appears to be heavy hair in the back, which would ultimately pull their head forward, which would affect their breathing. And I didn't know with all the stuff that you guys look at, if you if you can add in a weird metric <laughs> that if they do, if they like the weight of their hair and how much that that has to affect so much of performance. Even from the standpoint, I think of like dribbling sometimes, I'm like, that hair is flying around and it just would be in the way. And I didn't know if that's something you've ever thought about or looked at. Um, thought about, yes. I, you know, I would say that's part of our conversations and it's actually not as heavy, at least our player, like when they get their hair done, it's not as heavy as it might appear or it might right. look and it doesn't affect their, I guess, head. I mean, I wouldn't know from a posture standpoint, yeah. right? But for them, like, I always think, I thought the same thing. I'm like, that's got to be heavy or that's got to wait. And they're like, no, it doesn't feel like anything. So. So you would be interesting as a pre and post x-ray before hair, after hair. Because that's what we'll, we'll do that. And we use only two pounds of weight to test that to see if it makes a difference. Because the the way our, in the, in the, in the chiropractic biomechanic world, they look at the, the head is eight to 10 pounds. So if you throw two pounds on that, that's about 20% of the person, 20 to 25% of the person's head weight. And so it can move it quite a bit. And I just always thought it would be interesting. And then once this lady changed her hair, we just were like, listen, you just can't have it all towards the back. You need to move it towards like the top, just center of gravity type stuff. That's interesting. It would be interesting too, because it maybe accounts for more than, right. than I would have imagine and then and and just part of that too i was in starbucks the other day and i saw just the long hair came up again and i saw the, the girl on the on her phone and everything and it's just how much their heads are pulled forward and flexed is just crazy what it does to lung capacity right it's wild it's great i mean you look at everybody now like yes forward head posture that's the just big yeah. slu yes slouch shoulders all of it people on their phones constantly like like it's no wonder that there's as many breathing issues and just in right. general because of that.
different health issues that. Yes, the technology side. And I remember there was a book called Desk Bound. Do you remember what the name? Uh, yeah, Kelly, Kelly Start. Scott, yeah, Kelly Start. And he was talking about, he was working with some of the football teams in California, but he was saying basically that they work out insanely hard for an hour or two. And then they go home and they play video games for two or three hours. Right. So they're just literally sitting in the worst posture. Then they go work out again. And then they go just go back and play video games, basically. And he said the their posture, their muscles are getting stronger, but their posture is so poor from spending so many hours like that. So I you, you got to see where I'm going with it. Like, are they on their phone a lot? Are they in the height? Well, the up? sheer height of the basketball team, too. For sure. They're every everything's built lower than yes. that so they're always in this kind yes. of forward flex sort of thing yeah i mean in general you see they're so anterior dominant right in in every capacity right so that definitely influences things that i look at from a programming standpoint right. too you know not just they're everybody's anterior dominant in basketball and everything that they do performance wise is going to be anterior right. dominant so when we train we definitely want to do a lot of that reverse make sure that we're yep. really focusing on more posterior chain dominance um, and that definitely affects how, how I look at things from just a bodybuilding standpoint too. Like how, how are we trying to balance this right. out the best that we can? There's no balance that's ever going to be really achieved, but how can we at least try to minimize the effects of what's happening? And then what do you track? Is there a software that you track all this stuff? Cause there's been a lot of data that you were talking about. What do you, how do you keep it all organized? Yeah, I don't have or like a, Excel <laughs> spreadsheets in, the brain. in my brain. Yeah, no, we do. I mean, from a data standpoint, too, things that I can look at to really see how we're progressing. And that is we do force plate testing. So I have them jump on force plate so it can tell me gotcha. and look at different phases of their jumping. And based on their phases, I can I know what is happening in each phase of that jump and where their weaknesses are, where their strengths are, where are they most dominant. And I can use that information to help drive our programming. Um, but yeah, from an organization standpoint, obviously all web-based, cloud-based, right, but also right. my own way of organization, Kinda, yep. which probably looks like chaos to a lot yep. of people. It's like my notepads. Yeah. Have you seen that they're adding vibration plates in certain gyms too? I was wondering if you mm -hmm. do any work where they're vibrating while working out, like just on a bigger um, scale. We have them. We have two of them in our weight room, but we, I wouldn't say we use them from a training standpoint. Okay. It's more so like pre and post. Um, our players like it from a, I think a feel good standpoint, yeah. but no, um, have I seen it used in exercises? Yes. Not in a very long time, but I know there are certain benefits to that, yeah. but we don't personally use, use that a lot gotcha. from a performance standpoint. Nice. Are, is squatting and pushups two big things that you focus on? Would you say that those are the, cause when I think of strength training, I always think of squat and pushups, but I don't know if that's true in your world. You know, I always look at it from, there are really five major movement patterns that we want to train. Uh, yes, push and pull. We want to squat. We want to hinge. We want to step up, chin up, and then upper body push, whether it's a push up. And I think a push up is a very foundational movement. We want to carry something heavy. So yes, squatting is important, but I think people, you know, we see strength coaches still arguing about Too much squatting. Yes, yes. Like, and what type of squat is the best and all of that. And if you look in our weight room and our athletes are squatting on a given day, we probably have seven or eight different variations happening. So yes, I think the pattern's important. Do we place a big emphasis on it? Do I measure their max back squat or, or even their max squat in general? No, I don't. Um, we do a I lot like of different that. squatting patterns and a lot more so we really focus on single leg squatting. I would say more than bilateral oh, really? yeah. squatting. Yeah. I don't know that any of our, our athletes back squat 
Hmm. And over my, I've been here for five full seasons. The times, the amount of times we've back squatted is maybe 10%. Hmm. What what do you think? Yes, we do push-ups. Yeah. You know, but you know, that's just a piece of the puzzle. Right. It's not like a big emphasis in order to get into here. You have to do a hundred push-ups. Right. No. Yeah. What can you look at Tom? We always kind of like talking about this, but like, what do you think his metrics would be? You Let's know, say squat, push up. You yeah. want him to stand up and yes. turn around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, don't look at the legs. Yeah, do a quick squat. Yeah, have Not him do a quick a squat. Okay. Actually, I want to. I want to get your thoughts on <laughs> squat too. If you could. Do. Mediocre depth. Yeah. Oh, you, get <laughs> oh, you saw a shift there. What'd you think? Honestly, from I would say you're definitely more. Uh, like quad dominant, like from, a, you'd be good at squatting, probably not great. I mean, you've got a short tor- torso, mm. legs aren't super long, so shorter levers, probably good at, at benching. Great at benching. Probably great at Pretty benching, good. probably what do you not think, great. What do you think Not great at hamstrings. Number. You yeah, spot on say, hamstrings. Yeah, hamstrings I don't think they exist. <laughs> <laughs> Squatting's not an issue for you. Yeah, squatting, I feel pretty good in squats, but hamstrings. Probably can't RDL very much. No. Nope. The, yeah, the, the, you know what I'm bad at too is shoulders. Shoulders are real rough, are real rough for me. Back's kind of hard. Hamstrings, honestly, like, with, um, what's the move called? I forget what it is, but I literally, I just can't do it. Yeah. It's just really hard. Chin ups probably, meh. Average. Yeah. Yeah. And my better weight, at pressing, I mean, better at squatting. Yeah. Yeah. I got to lose some pounds to get better at chin ups. Just a lot. <laughs> relative it's strength a lot matters. <laughs> relative strength it's, matters. <laughs> now, so who are, you, who are you hanging out with on a day to day basis? Like, what's your, like, your team or what's, what does a day look like for you? Yeah. I mean, I spend obviously a lot of time with, with our players and our staff. That's, you know, definitely dominates a lot of my time. But luckily, I work with, you know, our support staff and people that I actually really enjoy hanging mm-hmm. out with outside of work. And I think a big emphasis for me, you know, throughout my career is and I learned early on just by getting burnt out and just by being like full fledged working all the time. Mm-hmm. is like I've got to have a community outside of just the environment that I work in every day. And so I've really tried to branch out and meet different people in Columbia, get involved in different rec leagues, just meet yeah. different groups of people and kind of have different pockets of friends. Uh, to spend time with because especially in season like we spend so much time with each other which is great like we like each other but at some point too like you've got to have a little bit of separation so yeah my days can be kind of all over the place but yeah obviously work is you know different times of the year it ebbs and flows but do you have to get up real early like is your schedule like a super early schedule not crazy. I mean, the in the summer, the earliest I'll have anything is usually 7 a.m., okay. which for me, I like getting up early. I'd rather go to bed yeah. by 9 o'clock and wake up at 5. I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, but really, I would say there's different points in my career where, you know, we'd have 6 a.m. workouts, early workouts, and, you know, I'd be there from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., and my schedule's not like that now. Obviously, you know, working with one team, it's a little bit different. I'm not on the floor coaching for 10 hours a day, but, you know, depending on the day, I get in about six or seven and I can be done with my day, you know, at the heart of it in season, we're done with practice by three 30. So, um, not super late nights, but obviously there's a lot of, you know, nuances to that and different times I'm coming in weekends, things like that. So it's a very non-traditional schedule, but in general, we're not going crazy early, at least maybe for some people that's really early, but 
yeah. also done with my day a little bit earlier than most people do. What do you get to wear to work? Like, do you, are you doing sweatpants, tucked in t-shirt, whistle around your neck? Tucked in, no. T-shirts, yes. T-shirts. <laughs> Shorts, sweatpants. Uh, yeah, you know, athletic gear. You know, we get hooked up, obviously. Um, yeah, I get to wear comfy clothes. Sneakers. Yeah, the, I guess I dress up more on game days than I do on a uh, normal day. But I'm in the, you know, I'm in the gym working. Um, I need to be able to move around. I sweat. I'm, you know, I'm jumping yeah. in at times. So it's got to be active wear. Yeah, sure. I was cur- curious about your workout routine. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it depends on the day. I've, I will say I used to be like your, your typical strength coach that just lifted weights, didn't really do much for conditioning or for cardio. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've definitely shifted gears on that a lot. And I lift probably four to five times a week, but I'm doing some sort of workout every day. I do a lot more running. I do a lot more uh, different cardiovascular activities. I try to play in rec leagues as much as I can, but I try to actually train myself like an athlete and somebody that uh, doesn't just lift lift weights for a living. So, so think, you've got to compare yourself a little bit to them. Like, is yeah. there is there a one mile benchmark for how far how fast you have to run a mile? No, no. What we what, don't, what do you think would be? I mean, we just fast. ran. What uh, the other day we went out to the river walk uh, and we ran. We probably. We did a little scavenger hunt, but you know, we ran, it was probably a mile, 1.2 miles down and we ran back and I was hanging with them the whole time. And I mean, there's certain things that they can do that I absolutely cannot do. But when it comes to what they do in the weight room, there's nothing that I ask them to do that I won't do myself. And I have to hop in every once in a while and let them know that I'm still better. You can still do it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then my last question is, do you, if somebody wanted to work with you, do you do any independent work outside of uh, coaching? I do. Obviously it, it differs at uh, different times of the year, but yeah, I think, you know, there's times of the year in uh, summer, fall, when we're not actually in season that I'm, I have a lot more time to do some of that. But yeah, I try to keep that aspect of, of my career open, open. as well. Nice. Too. Yeah. And how would they reach you? How would they find you? And what would be the best method to get? Yeah. Uh, social media is probably the best way. I'm pretty active on Instagram. Um, that, I mean, Obviously, my email is pretty open out there on our website, but I would say what, social media. What is your Instagram? It is mbenetti22. And do you work with golfers? Like if like Randy needs some work, just strength oh, and conditioning so out work. there. I do actually. I'm training a, a kid right now. Flexibility. And yeah. I need a lot of flexibility. Yeah. yeah I'm thoracics. training a kid right now that's about to go play golf at Illinois. Really? Yeah. So you can kind of like look at what movements they need to work on and really. Mm-hmm. And then you would give, do this for the next week and then meet me again next week or how, yeah, or what's it's it? a pretty, you know, on an individual schedule, but yeah. yeah. Would I you think film him while he swings? I could. Yeah. Just to kind of see the see muscle where, patterns. Yeah. I could. There's a lot of goofy stuff that happens. His left foot just moves. I, it's like <laughs> I it's know. floating or something. Well, there's an aesthetic. So this would be my issue is I like looking a certain way and I think it's even if you told me that I could swing a little bit better, but I had to look like your biceps could. If be you that told big. me that my biceps <laughs> needed to be smaller and I would golf better, I I probably wouldn't do it. But if you told me I could still have kind of the aesthetic, but not, you know, but then golf better, then I would want to do that. Okay. And I feel like if I was in if I was playing basketball in front of a ton of people, I would probably say the same thing. Like I I get it, you want me to do this, but I'm I'm going to look out good there. <laughs> There's no I way. I know you got to fill the jersey. <laughs> But, right. It's kind of true. Yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. Any Anyone who you think should be on our podcast? Ooh. You're going to put me on the spot here. I can get you someone, but I'm probably not going to be able to think of it right now. That's all right. Yeah. Second. Just let, it, yeah. let us know. Uh, yeah. And then anything that you love 
to do in Columbia, like a favorite restaurant or a favorite business or someone that you want to give a shout out? I love going to breweries. Um, So I'm actually, I was actually impressed with how many there are in Columbia. Food, I'm a big foodie. My favorite, my favorite restaurant in Columbia is bourbon. That's, yeah. um, You're a whiskey drinker. I do like bourbon a lot. Yeah, I do. Bourbon and beer, probably my two vices. Um, Koa. Koa is a great yes, Mexican yep. restaurant. I'm surprised how little or how few people know of Koa yeah. that I've met, actually. Um, besides that, I have two dogs, so anything, like, I like hitting the trails and oh, different parts. They're not dachshunds, are they, by chance? No. Oh. No, We had big a big dachshund watch, or dog <laughs> no. walker on here a few no. weeks ago. Uh, yeah, just anything outside. What's Love your that. favorite brewery? Like, what's your go-to Ooh. brewery? Oh, you're going to say Savage, but there's a new mm-hmm. one that opened downtown. I did hear that. Well, was it Iron, Iron Hill, Hill or something in like Bowl District? I haven't been there yet. I like I like Columbia Craft Beer, but I don't like their like little set. I don't setup, like their yeah. setup there. Yeah. I like Steel Hands because it's like big and open. Mm-hmm. Their beer yep. is like, okay. There's really not one that like has it all, that has yeah. like great beer great food and like a great environment, environment. Yeah. but there's good parts of all of them i think nice i like the hanger at uh hunter gatherer at the hanger oh, yeah. that's like just oh, a I cool vi- about cool yeah. vibe and it's right by my house so it's yeah uh i think people forget about that one a lot too yeah. but it's it's pretty good love that yeah right. cool well thanks good. for being on the show congrats on thanks, all your sir. success so thanks, far guys. hope many thank more you. years thank you all right appreciate thanks. it go check her out here. We're here for the health of it. For the health of it.